Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day again. Uh, on this Father's Day, uh, the Bible launches into a story of family pretty fast. By page 11 in my Bible, uh, anyways, God starts working through a particular family of humans. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, Through you and your family, all the nations of the earth will find blessing. So Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac is the father of Jacob. And they all walk in blessing, right? Well, um, Jacob has 12 sons, number 11 being a son named Joseph. Family relationships is bad. How bad is it? It's so bad that when Jacob is, or Joseph is being a little bit of a brat, his brothers try to kill him, not just give him a toilet swirly, but kill him. They compromise by sending him off to, into slavery, selling him. And like, guys, I've got a lot of grace for myself and other families, but if my kids, like, they sell each other's stuff behind their back on eBay, I'll be upset, much less sell each other into slavery. I might feel like I was failing a little bit as a parent if that was going on behind my back. Uh, his Jacob's obviously distraught. Uh, Joseph is sold into slavery, transported into to Egypt, the Lord's favor is on him, and he is a man of character and integrity, which, boy, God's favor and character and integrity make up for a lot. He rises through the ranks, is imprisoned, plucks from prison, um, and finds himself the number two to Pharaoh, from slave to vice president, where he administers wisely in the midst of a great famine throughout the whole land, and all of a sudden, who should show up looking for food but his brothers? Oh, how the tables have turned. Joseph forgives his brothers, saves them from starving, and brings his whole family to the land of Egypt. We're going to look this morning at how Joseph handles his family moving in with him how he handles his family coming back together. So let's pray, and then we'll see how Joseph deals with his very complicated family. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you that today you deal with us in our complications, maybe in some of our simplicity and just numbness. You deal with us with grace and love you have an invitation for more. It's not a more that we have to work for or perform for. It's a more that fits us perfectly. So would you speak into our hearts and our lives this morning, Jesus? Would you speak your truth into our minds? Would you speak your truth into our hearts? Lord God, we open ourselves to your word. We lay aside distractions. We know your word is truth. And we sit under it in the administration of you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. All right, we're going to be jumping around Genesis chapter 46 this morning. So he's met his brothers, his family. He says, come on up, live with me. Joseph prepared his chariot and traveled to Goshen to meet his father, Jacob. When Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding on to him for a long time. Then Joseph said, I will go to Pharaoh and tell him. My brother and my fam- father's entire family have come to me from the land of Cana. Their shepherds have brought with them and flocks, everything they own. He said, when Pharaoh calls for you and asks you about your occupation, you must tell him. We, your servants, are shepherds. When you tell him this, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen. For the Egyptians despise shepherds. Then Joseph took five of his brothers, went to see Pharaoh. They told him, We are shepherds, just like our ancestors who have come to live here in Egypt for a while, for there's no pasture because the famine is so severe. So please, we request permission to live in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Now that your father and brothers have joined you here, choose any place in the entire land of Egypt for them to live. Give them the best land of Egypt. Let them live in the region of Goshen. If any of you have special skills, put them in charge of my livestock too. Then Joseph presented his father to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. How old are you? Pharaoh asked. Jacob replied, I have traveled this earth for 130 years. Let's hear it for, you know, before chemicals and carcinogens and, or maybe a different way of counting years. But my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again. So Joseph assigned the best land of Egypt to his father and his brothers, and he settled them there, just as Pharaoh had commanded. Joseph provided food for his whole family to the smallest children. One day, not long after this, word came to Joseph, your father is failing rapidly. Joseph brought his two sons. Jacob kissed and embraced them. Jacob said, I never thought I would see your face again. He'd been told that he was dead. But now God has let me see not just you, but your children's children also. Jacob blessed his grandsons, crossed his arms. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was younger, left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. Joseph lifted his father's right hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. No, my father, this is the firstborn. Put your hand on his head. His father refused. I know, my son. I know, he replied. Manasseh will also become a great people. His younger brother will be even greater and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. When Jacob had finished his charge to his sons, he drew his feet into his bed, breathed his last, and joined his ancestors in death. Joseph threw himself on his father, wept over him, kissed him. Joseph told the physicians who served him to embalm his father's body, and the Egyptians mourned his death for 70 days. 
The word of the Lord. Joseph honors Jacob. Joseph honors the father who failed to protect him. He goes out to meet his family, not waiting for them to come to his fancy palace and grovel. He acknowledges his father, poor and like maybe half starving and fresh off the boat as he was, as having the blessing of being the patriarch and being able to bless his big boss, Pharaoh. He honors his father by bringing his own sons to him for a blessing on the deathbed. And Jacob, because he's been empowered by his son's honor, has the prophetic insight and clarity to put them in their correct, though opposite, prophetic order. Joseph honors his his employer, Pharaoh, by bringing his family to meet him by being scrupulous about the details. The family had a little bit of a bad habit about lying about the details when they came into the new land, by being totally truthful and honest, by asking permission, by blessing Pharaoh. And honor released blessing. Jacob blessed Pharaoh twice, and they received the best land. Jacob and Pharaoh are, Jacob and Joseph, too many J names, Jacob and Joseph are reconciled, And Joseph receives the full blessing of the family lineage that he wouldn't have gotten without being reconciled. Jacob blesses his grandsons, and Ephraim is positioned as a great nation, and Manasseh too. Jacob's old age really kind of redeems his youth. As a younger man, he did some things that were not to to be so proud of. But Joseph doesn't hold his father to the mistakes of his past. He honors him, and this releases the blessing, reversing the dysfunction of earlier generations, releasing blessing from within the family and even from outside, from the Egyptians. Because of Joseph's honor uh, of his father, the family was restored, and was restored to receive the generational blessings that God had always wanted them to receive and to walk in. I think there are three really practical ways that Joseph honored his father. First, he he went out to meet him. He took the first step. He initiated. He didn't wait for Jacob to be better or hear him out for what he was going to say. He went out to meet him. And then he was very truthful throughout this whole uh, encounter. Honor doesn't mean we we make stuff up or or, have to whitewash things. Honor believes, honor has the faith to believe that God does not leave anyone devoid of good and the maturity and the love to see the best in these jars of clay with cracks and scratches We believe that that God created well, and we have the maturity in the eyes of faith to see it. Joseph was honest, and then Joseph brought his own sons. He brought what was precious and valuable, and he worked on and he produced. He brought them to Jacob to place in his sphere of influence, to put before him in his orbit, in his talents, to receive Jacob's blessings over what was most valuable to him. 
You know, honor comes from the word in, uh, in Hebrew. It means kabod, literally meaning weighty or heavy. In Greek, the word is teme, meaning value or price. Honor means to see someone's worth, to value, to, to name them as that, and to treat them as valuable and respect that. Honor, actually, in Scripture, starts with God. Genesis chapter 1, uh, God said, Let us make human beings in our image. To be like us, they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God, in this you know poetic story of creation, God makes people with care and dignity, worth and responsibility. He presumably does know what will happen next, how people will be a bit of a disappointment, deceitful. And when human beings mess up on our cowering in shame and, and nakedness, Genesis chapter 3, God covers humanity's uh, shame, doesn't expose it or, or parade it around, but covers that with the first uh, death we see, the animal sacrifice to cover that to restore dignity. God honors us, kind of amazingly enough. Psalm 8 says, When I look at the night sky, see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place. What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? You made them only a little lower than God, crowned them with honor and glory. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, flocks and the herds and the wild animals, birds in the sky and fish in the sea. God honors people because they're made in God's image. They have the imago dei, the image of God, and that positions and places people as honorable and valuable. Honor, worth, value is something that every single human being has because every single human being is created in the image of God. As C.S. Lewis reminds us, you will never, ever meet anyone who is not created in the image of God. Honor comes from how we were created. It comes from our good identity is shaped and formed and molded by God. Uh, if we go to the uh, next graphic, perfect. Thank you so much, Patrick. Honor comes from what God has done. We are given inherent value and worth by our creator. And after the entrance of sin into the world, we've moved a little bit more from a system of value to evaluation. You know, if things are going well, we clap, applaud. Oh, good job. You did it right. You There's praise things aren't going so well, plenty of times things are not going so well, uh, criticism, uh, admonition, when things have, have, when we've messed up, when we've done wrong. But honor is not based on performance. Honor is about our identity as created by, by God. It's about our relationship, our position, certain people who God has placed teachers, leaders, pastors, elders, those in authority. It's not about performance, but it's about the image of God and the placement and call of God. 
One author says that uh, a culture of honor is celebrating who a person is without stumbling over who a person isn't. I think that's a really good definition. We want to honor who they are, celebrate that, without getting super caught up on who they aren't. Now, as we start to talk about this a little bit, I don't know, how do you think we would rate our own culture in terms of honoring people? How do we do with that as a society? I would have to say we're not amazing at this in general. Um, maybe um, we applaud and, and commend folks for shiny, good behavior, good job, good job. Certainly criticize when things go well, but very rarely do we just honor friends, family, neighbors, coworkers for who they are, for who they are created by God. I think maybe one of the most obvious examples of dishonor uh, in our culture uh, comes from how we talk about some of our politicians and leaders. I frankly have never met anyone who's pure evil, but apparently the other side is populated by like entirely. It's quite surprising to me. Um, But what is regularly said about politicians of the opposite side should never be said about any people ever. We've given ourselves license to totally uh, lambaste uh, the other side. It's really total lack of nuance, a shocking oversimplification, and also just a real erasure of good and the image of God. Maybe another example could be some of our jokes. Uh, I think some of the women jokes are falling out of favor a little bit. Dumb blonde jokes. You know what I still hear, though? Dumb men jokes. Why are blonde jokes so short? So that men can remember them. I know. It's, kind of, it's a little bit funny. And they're like, I'm not uptight about this. No judgment. Uh, this joke was posted um, on uh, our very own town's Facebook group and got lots of likes. Uh, the meme says, my husband and I both have colds. The only difference is I'm cleaning the kitchen and he is dying. And listen, I'm really not uptight about this. But when it continues and continues to a certain point, you're like, is this really honoring? I'm not so sure. I think we need to be careful about some of these things. Um, In Asian cultures, when you receive a gift, um, some Asian cultures, you receive it with both hands. Because someone put care and attention into it and has, has given you something. In our culture, we're often like, huh, thanks, cool, plop it down. We're we're very casual. There's nothing wrong with being casual, Um, especially in our churches, though sometimes we show up, we do our thing, we get praised, we get get punished. You know who is typically, typically, um, way better at honor? The black church. Go to a black church, Uh, Elders are addressed with honorifics. There'll be sometimes short speeches of gratitude and and, and thanks. There's commendations and applause. I I listen to a number of uh, podcasts a lot, and one I have listened to a little bit. Um, The host always interviews someone, and the host always interviews them, you know, calls them up. 
on and uh, says, this is so-and-so, and then the person says, it's uh, the Russell Moore Show, the person says, thanks so much for having me, Russ, or it's good to be here, Russell, great to talk to you, Russ. And this particular week, he had on a black intellectual uh, Christian leader and introduces him, says this is what we're going to be talking about today, and the guest says, it's wonderful to be here, Dr. Moore. I thought, oh, all the times I've listened, I've never heard the host of this show called Dr. Moore. Um, it's honoring. It's good. Uh, I like the speech culture in some other cultures. If there's a big gathering, sometimes someone will stand up and, and give a speech. It might be long to some of our ears, remembering the past, honoring those not present, expressing gratitude and thanks for hospitality for everyone there. Americans were kind of like, what's going on here? I expected to stuff my face and shoot the breeze. Like if we go to parties and the host thanks everyone for coming nicely, like that's nice, but it's a little bit more formal. And uh, there's nothing wrong with being casual. Casual is good, but sometimes we're so casual that we forget to make it all the way through to the honoring part. Number five of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you. Why is there a promise with this commandment? None of the other commandments have rewards. There's no prize for not stealing. There's no trophy for not murdering. There is a blessing for not, or there is a blessing for honoring. So that, so that it may go well with you. So that you see the best in each other. So that you avoid costly conflict. So that you have good relationships and family and society are stable. I think it's a true spiritual principle. As we honor our parents, as we honor people in positions of leadership over us, teachers, bosses, government leaders, elders, as we honor those over us, we are blessed. So this Father's Day, I want to take a little space to honor our dads. Um, all of us have a father, some great some good enough, uh, some limited, some involved in our lives, some passed away. I think fathers carry heavy loads and have real limits. Uh, I just read a book by a brilliant neurosurgeon, um, really brilliant scientist and writer, Paul Kalanithi, who died at age 40 of cancer. Um, and as he was diagnosed uh, and knew his time was most likely short, he and his wife decided to go ahead with life and love and actually uh, have a child. And he writes in his memoir in what will most in what ends up actually being his final entry to his memoir. He writes a message to his daughter, uh, and he says, "I hope I'll live long enough that she has some memory of me." Words have a longevity that I do not. I had thought that I would leave her a series of letters. But what would they even say? I don't know what this girl will be like when she is 8 or 15. I don't know if she'll take to the nickname we call her now. There's perhaps only one thing to say to this infant. 
overlapping life so briefly with me. The message is simple. When you come to one of the many moments in life where you must give an account of yourself, provide a ledger of what you have been and done, do not, I pray, discount that you filled a dying man's day with a sated joy, a joy unknown to me in all my prior years, a joy that does not hunger for more but rests satisfied. It's really beautiful. As he looks at his baby daughter and what he cannot give her, leaving so early, he gives her the one thing that he can give her, the blessing of being totally and fully loved. There's probably no greater limits as a dad than death. And he faces that limit and loves her and blesses her. Uh, Robert Hayden is a great American poet. Uh, he had a turbulent home life growing up in poverty outside of Detroit. Um, and he deals with the memory of his father uh, in his poem, Winter Sundays. He writes, Sundays too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the black blue cold. Then with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather made banked fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the cold splintering, breaking. When the rooms were warm, he'd call. And slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house, speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know, what did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? What do we know? What do we know sometimes about those who have tried to love us of a high calling with limitations? I have a great dad really loving, intellectual, nerdy, in a very bearded, tweed jacket way, unique guy. When I was 16 and got my driver's license, started working, um, worked a lot, and sometimes I would be running a little late to get off to my job. Not much has changed in the last 20 years. And uh, my dad would run off after me, stop, stop, wait, don't leave yet. Oh, what is it? I gotta go. Let me check your oil. We uh, typically had kind of junker, clunker cars. Oh, fine. Pop the hood. He'd grab a rug, check the oil. Oh, okay. You're good to go. Slam the hood down. Like, all the time. I would drive away like, the car isn't quite that bad. I'm sure you checked it yesterday. But I knew... I knew he loved me. I'm so grateful for the times when he held me up a minute and a half more to check the oil in my car. What do we know of how to be a father? What do we know of those on the other side of leadership, of age, of an organization? Friends, this morning, who is your Jacob? Who is your Jacob? Who has messed up? 
loved you, failed you, helped you? Who do you need to honor? Blessing flows through that. Joseph honored his father by going out to meet him, taking that step, initiating, by being totally truthful. We don't need to make up anything. And by placing what he cared most about into a way that, that Jacob could really bless, into Jacob's talents or, or sphere of influence. Who, who is your Jacob? Maybe a boss, teacher, a, a, a neighbor, anyone. How can we be like Joseph? Uh, this last week I was uh, at a family funeral on Friday um, up in Albany, and um, you know, we weren't super close, so it's okay, but um, my cousin passed away uh, at a younger age, and um, I'm very sad for my aunt and uncle, and uh, going there, to be honest, I was not sure how my uncle would would handle it. They they wheeled the uh, casket out, and my aunt and uncle are walking behind. And like, how's he how's he gonna uh, handle this? And he comes out. I want to say he was tall and proud. He's a little shorter of stature, um, but he was he was strong. And um, and uh, one of my other uncles gave a eulogy did a great job. He's funny and personable and just did a great job. And uh, he goes to sit down and he walks down the aisle and my uncle stands up. He's a little late. So he like kind of runs after him in the front row and taps him on the shoulder, turns around. I mean, I don't usually run after people in the middle of services or, you know, tap him on the shoulder. Hey, wait, come back. Runs after and taps him on the shoulder and says, thank you. Thank you. And then the two of them just embracing this huge hug. They're crying. I love you, brother. I love you, brother. They have not always had a perfect relationship. And just that moment of him running after him and uh, to say, he could have said thank you afterwards. And so I sit there as the pastor stands up to, to give his little eulogy and like, gotta tell my my uncle I gotta like write an email and I I don't have any paper to write down notes so I you know I'm looking through my, my purse I find an old receipt and start writing down things I need to tell my uncle just taking little scribbles of things I gotta remember this always you know it's my uncle we don't communicate that much uh, in some ways, I feel like just his little girl niece, even though I have little girl nieces now my, myself. Um, I may be 40, but he's 75 now. Um, I was like, I need to remember this, write this down, share with him, honor this. Also this week, um, we had a vineyard area guy, um, one of the leaders, come in to do a half-day retreat for all the pastors in Massachusetts. And, um, you know, he's talking, how, how are things going with you guys? How's the transition from Rob Davis as founding lead pastor to now myself and my, my husband leading up things here? I say, oh, it's great. Rob has been fantastic to work with. 
great person to work under and with, um, a great mentor. Him and Liz have been like second grandparents to my kids. And this guy, he's like an older guy. You know how some older guys, they put their hands behind their back and stretch out, cross their legs, get real comfy. He's like, hmm, tell you guys. You know, I was just talking with Rob Davis. You know what he said? You guys are doing so great. He's so proud of you. Like, I know. This is what may, has made, enabled me to work well. Like, guys, I could be doing worse. I could be doing worse professionally, personally. It's a culture of honor where, where we're so grateful for him. He's affirming and encouraging of us. We support, encourage each other. And we've worked really well together. Friends, create your own ecosystem of honor. It just greases things, oils, it runs real smooth. Who do you need to honor? Maybe even today, honor claims the image of God, not highlighting criticism or applauding good performance to release blessing. Honor is seeing people with God's God's identity for them acknowledging who God says you are, they are, we are, and it positions us to receive the gift of them in our life. We courageously treat people as God created them as brothers and sisters, not competition, as justified in Christ, not as sinners, as blessings, never as curses, and we receive God's good promises out of that. Mm.